Modern life. Between careers, kids, and health, it can be mayhem. That's why we're here. I'm Dr. Lisa Varghese-Kroll. And I'm Dr. Lonre Falusi. We're physicians, moms, and longtime friends who break it all down for you. Wondering how to juggle all the balls and still stay sane? Looking for advice but don't want to be overwhelmed? Curious about how to make the most out of life for your family but enjoy it at the same time? You're in the right place. Welcome to Health and Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. On this episode, we're giving our State of the Union address on COVID. Where do we stand two years into the pandemic? What does Omicron mean for us? And all those COVID myths we hear, can any of them be debunked? Keep listening for all this and more. Hey, Lon. Hey, Lise. Man, it is, it's kind of funny to think about how if the us of two years ago mm-hmm. could hear the us of today, the us of two years ago would have had absolutely no idea what the us of today was talking about. <laughs> I know, right? So all the jargon that we're familiar with now, like social distancing, double vaxxed, <laughs> PPE, <laughs> long COVID, like exactly. all these words that are... Yeah, new and like painful in their own way now. Right? And even like even once the pandemic officially hit North America, even then we we really mm-hmm. didn't know what we were in for. Like aside from having an entirely new va- vocabulary, mm-hmm. like I remember my first order of cloth masks for my kids in April of 2020. Mm. Like I was kind of surprised when they arrived and my sunset came with a Christmas themed mask in April. <laughs> But lo and behold, we've now been through two Christmases with COVID. I I may actually need to replenish my supply of Christmas-themed masks. (laughs) Oh, jeez. When you put it like that... It's easy to get discouraged. Yes. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, it's also important to remember that we are in a very different place than we were back then. True. In spring of 2020, we had no vaccines. Yeah. And in spring of 2021, we had no pediatric vaccines. But now approximately 74% of the U.S. adult population and 64% of the total U.S. population is now fully vaccinated. So and that's defined as two doses of Pfizer or Moderna or one dose of Johnson & Johnson. Um, Up to date, if you hear that term now, that's defined as the full primary course of any vaccine plus the available booster. So, I mean, that's great news, you know? I mean, really, so it is. So let's look at where we are at this moment. So according to the Johns Hopkins COVID-19 dashboard, as of mid-February 2022, we're at approximately 406 million cases of COVID worldwide and 77 million cases in the U.S. And we're at approximately 5.8 million COVID deaths worldwide and 915,000 deaths in the U.S. Those are sobering numbers. Very. But we're also at roughly 10 billion vaccine doses administered worldwide and 543 million doses in the U.S. So, And those are total numbers since the pandemic began. In terms of how things are looking more recently, according to the World Health Organization, in the last seven days, we've had about 18 million new cases and about 72,000 COVID deaths globally. And in the U.S. over the last seven days, we've had about 1.7 million new cases and 16,000 deaths. 
Now, these dashboards from Johns Hopkins and the World Health Organization, they're great resources that are updated daily, sometimes hourly. So we'll link to them in our show notes at HippocraticHost.com so you can follow rates in your own county, state, province, or country. Great. So although there are some reasons to be optimistic, those numbers that you just shared, Lise, those are really sobering. Yeah, I yeah. Know. Especially given that we are all worn the heck out <laughs> from dealing with this <laughs> pandemic for the two technical years. Term. Yeah, scientific term. <laughs> Learned at medical school, worn the heck out. I mean, we are, you know, so of course then no one was happy to hear about Omicron, a variant that was first detected in November 2021. So this is, of course, a mutation of the coronavirus that's much more transmissible than the original. So the thing is, it generally causes less severe disease, but because it causes disease in more people, it has still been crushing the healthcare system, overwhelming bed capacity, leaving little to no room for patients with non-COVID diagnoses, such as heart attack and stroke, you know, these things that haven't stopped despite being in a pandemic, right? right. And Omicron, it does appear to have peaked nationally in the U.S. in mid-January, but it is still peaking locally in certain regions, and case rates remain really high overall. So we still have to continue to take precautions. So with Omicron, what are the current recommendations? Now, I know it feels like the recommendations are constantly changing, and that's because they are. But that's a good thing. They're changing because we're always learning more. Mm -hmm. As more data comes in, the science changes and our strategies to beat this thing change. It would actually be a reason for concern if the guidelines today were exactly the same as they were two two years ago or one year ago or six months ago. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's such a good point. I think people, right, do get frustrated like, oh, you know, do they not know what they're doing? They keep changing the guidelines. but. Guidelines change as science changes as we learn more. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, as of February 2022, the CDC recommends that people who test positive for COVID should isolate for five days and wear a mask when around any other people, including people in your own home. Um, If people are asymptomatic or their symptoms are resolving, meaning no fever for 24 hours, they should follow that five days of isolation by five more days of wearing a mask around any other people. And if you've been exposed to COVID and are unvaccinated or unboosted, they also recommend five days of quarantine and strict mask wearing, followed by five more days of strict mask wearing with a COVID test at day five after exposure. Right. And if you've been exposed to COVID, but you're fully vaccinated or you've had confirmed COVID within the last 90 days, then you don't need to quarantine unless you develop symptoms. And if you do develop symptoms, then you should isolate and get tested. So watch out for symptoms then and wear a mask around all others for 10 days. And it's strongly recommended that everyone over five be vaccinated and everyone who's eligible should get a booster. For Pfizer shots, that means everyone over 12 should get a booster at least five months after completing their second shot. For Moderna shots, that means everyone over 18 should get a booster at least five months after their second shot. For Johnson & Johnson shots, everyone over 18 should get a booster at least two months after their initial shot. And for moderately to severely immunocompromised people, a third primary shot is recommended with a booster five months later. So if you're in this category, check with your doctor to find out what you specifically need. 
And we're so excited to say that, at least at the time of this recording, it looks like the vaccine for children under five is close to being at least reviewed. And hopefully soon after that, right, will be approved, um, which is like, I'm thrilled. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. So thrilled. People, yeah, with young kids have been waiting for this uh, for so long. Um, so, So that is exciting. Um, And we're really fortunate that we have encouraging data on vaccine efficacy. So according to the Mayo Clinic, the Pfizer vaccine is 91% effective in preventing COVID-19 with symptoms in people over 16. It's over 89% effective in preventing it in people with pre-existing health conditions and nearly 100% effective in preventing it in kids aged 12 to 15 and 91% effective in preventing it in kids age 5 to 11. So the Moderna vaccine is 94% effective at preventing COVID-19 with symptoms and over 90% effective in preventing it in people with health conditions. The Johnson Johnson vaccine is 66% effective at preventing COVID-19 with symptoms and 85% effective at preventing severe illness. So there are other formulations that are available in other parts of the world, but not yet in the U.S., such as the Oxford AstraZeneca and the Novavax. And we could see those become available here in months to come. And given that Omicron is more contagious, N95 or KN95 masks are considered to be preferable to cloth masks at this point if they're available to you and you'll be in close contact with others. But a cloth mask or a surgical mask is still better than nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. So we know that public health measures during this pandemic have sadly become very politicized. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to forget, but it wasn't always this way. You know, for generations in the past, countries, including the U.S., were able to come together to eradicate childhood illnesses such as polio or to support a war effort by making personal sacrifices such as rationing. But now, however, social media and the mainstream or traditional media are often weaponized to convince regular people that public health measures are actually against their best interest or that they're based on lies for some reason. You know, this is done for a lot of reasons, maybe to win election votes or to make money on clickbait article links or just for the fun of trolling people. Right. I mean, this is a reality we we never had to deal with. Our ancestors, mm-hmm. our parents, our grandparents did not have to deal with. And I think right. the fact that it's new makes it challenging because we don't really have tried and true strategies. Mm-hmm. But one thing that we, we you know, Lonra and I want to take a minute to highlight is how personal and painful this is for healthcare workers. So imagine that you've decided to dedicate your life to helping others. In our last episode, episode 37, we talked about the long road it takes just to apply to medical school. After that, it's a decade or more of school and training, which includes brutal hours, student loans, missing life events, and often later challenges like infertility because of the need to delay one's own childbearing. And all of this because you thought it was that important to take care of other people. And it's not just doctors who go through this. Nurses, physician assistants, pharmacists, radiology technicians, literally every profession in healthcare requires some level of physical, emotional, and financial Mm -hmm. sacrifice. Right. So imagine you went through all of that and a global pandemic hit. So now you're working longer hours with fewer and fewer staff as your colleagues get sick or even quit. 
And not only Mm -hmm. are you at risk of illness and death, you're also risking your family members by continuing to work. I mean, I remember coming home, especially early in the pandemic, and after having seen a bunch of sick kids in the office, coming home and having to like slip past my kids so they wouldn't touch me. (laughs) Totally. I was worried that I was going to infect them with like my clothes and sneaking upstairs, Mm -hmm. like change and shower before I hugged my, my children. Like it's heartbreaking for them and for us, but... It was like what we felt like we needed to do to keep them safe. Right. You know? and, and if that's you, that's what you do. And maybe even more than that, you know, because you love your patients and you want to help. But then now imagine that your sacrifice is met with derision, with people calling you a liar, with people spitting at you for enforcing mask mandates and other measures that you know will save lives, with people denying your medical knowledge and experience and insisting that COVID doesn't exist or demanding unproven treatments that they heard about online, and with patients actually becoming aggressive towards you for trying to help them? I know. I mean, the stories from the front line are pretty scary. scary. You know, the vast majority of hospitalized COVID patients in the U.S. at this point are now unvaccinated, and hospitals around the country are reporting increasing rates of patients being belligerent and assaulting the very healthcare workers who are trying to save them. If you were that healthcare worker, how would you feel? Would you continue in the profession? It turns out that the answer in many cases is no. About one fifth of America's healthcare workers have quit since February That's 2020. Incredible. I know. And this number is increasing. And we'll link in our show notes at HippocraticCoast.com to an article that goes into a deeper dive about all the reasons why. But this destruction of our healthcare workforce should concern us all because although sometimes it doesn't feel like it, This pandemic will end Mm -hmm. one day, but there may not be doctors and nurses left to take care of us when it does. So we need to do everything we can to preserve a healthcare system while we still can. So what can we do? So first, don't believe conspiracy theories. We can tell you from personal experience that hospitals and healthcare workers are, by and large, just genuinely trying to do the right thing. You know, while some politicians or internet trolls may stand to benefit from these pandemic falsehoods. You know, from a healthcare worker's perspective, there's nothing for us to gain from lying about the pandemic. No. You know, everyone in medicine is overwhelmed. They want to decrease their patient load, not increase them. Right. You may have heard rumors that COVID numbers are artificially inflated, but this would require a level of cooperation at the ground level that would be nearly impossible because it's regular physicians like us working in thousands of individual facilities across the country who sign death certificates and determining cause of death in a hospital is a careful, objective Mm -hmm. process. In fact, you know, the evidence shows that COVID numbers are likely being underreported for a variety of reasons, including understaffed health departments um, who just have to take family members word for the causes of death of patients who died outside a hospital, um, patients who likely had COVID but are refusing refused tests before they passed away, inadequate resources for testing and autopsies and political pressure. Politics should have nothing to do with a public health crisis, because if it does, we, the public, will suffer. So we can do our part by refusing to pass on questionable information and refusing to listen to non-experts. There is no reason to believe an anonymous person on the Internet whose expertise we cannot confirm over the thousands of board-certified physicians, scientists, pharmacists, and other medical professionals advocating for science-based COVID management. Absolutely. And secondly, if you haven't already, 
get vaccinated. Yes. Please. So we talked back in episode six and episode 23 about all the specifics of the COVID vaccine. And the time that's elapsed since then has only underscored that this vaccine is safe and effective. You know, there's a reason that the vast majority of people now getting dangerously ill with COVID are unvaccinated. And there's also a reason that every major hospital system and physician group has been advocating for Mm -hmm. the vaccine. And just about every hospital in this country at this point has a COVID ward, but none have a ward for people with vaccine injuries. That's telling, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because physicians don't personally benefit from vaccines. A lot of people don't know this, but in many cases, doctors' offices actually lose money on vaccines, but they give them anyway. Because if they're effective, we will shout it from the rooftops because we want people to be healthy and we want this pandemic to end. If vaccines were dangerous, we'd be shouting that from the rooftops instead. Absolutely. There's no way we would keep that information to ourselves. And here's another thought experiment. So imagine you were one of the scientists in 2020 working around the clock to pull off one of humanity's greatest achievements developing a safe and effective vaccine for a global pandemic in less than a year. Now, imagine that strangers with no idea about virology, vaccine development, or scientific research began claiming with no evidence that you're actually lying about your vaccine safety. How would you feel? Would you come to the rescue the next time humanity needs you? So, you know, we'll link in our show notes to multiple resources explaining why the COVID vaccine is safe. You know, but... Getting vaccinated doesn't just prevent serious illness to yourself and doesn't just protect the young or immunocompromised people who can't get vaccinated. The other critical reason to get vaccinated is that the virus mutates best in unvaccinated hosts. Mm -hmm. So when a significant proportion of the population is unvaccinated, we're just giving the coronavirus the time and opportunity to mutate. So we've had the Delta variant, we've had the Omicron variant. And so what's next? What's next in the Greek alphabet, Lisa? I don't right. even know. I, I don't want to learn the whole Greek alphabet. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know, and you know, some mutations may be harmless, but some make the virus more dangerous, more contagious, more fatal, and more resistant to existing vaccines. So we need to eliminate the chance the virus has to mutate before it makes our current vaccines ineffective. Exactly. That's why it's so important. There's a limited window of time Mm -hmm. and it requires mass vaccination. In order to achieve herd immunity, the American Medical Association estimates that we need about 85% of the population to be vaccinated. And the U.S., as we said earlier, is at about 64%. It's also important to remember that this is a global pandemic that knows no borders. The pandemic doesn't need a passport. (laughs) So we need to be ensuring that everyone around the world has access Mm -hmm. to vaccination not just wealthy countries, Mm -hmm. or virus spread and virus-related deaths will continue. Right, right. So third, wear masks and follow local mandates. These are actually acts of love to those around you. (laughs) You know, so only by working together can we end this pandemic. And only by ending this pandemic are we going to return to some modicum of our former lives. But refusing to do these basic acts of consideration not only prolongs COVID-19, but also indicates that you prioritize yourself over others. Right. And, you know, here's a common myth that we can debunk, you know, that often comes up in these kinds of discussions. Wearing masks and following uh, COVID restrictions, is that living in fear? 
No, it's using common sense. Do you buckle your babies into car seats instead of just throwing them in the back seat and hoping for the best? <laughs> Is using a car seat living in fear? No, it's using a tool that we have in our society to increase the chance that our children will remain safe. Masks are exactly the same. Exactly. So here's another myth we can debunk. Masks do not lower oxygen levels in healthy individuals, including children. Surgeons, surgical nurses, and operating room technicians wear masks day in and day out for decades, and they're still able to operate. Many people in Asia have been wearing masks on and off for years, with no impact on academics or work performance. And in the U.S., the federal government is distributing free N95 masks now, up to three per person, through local pharmacies and grocery stores. So please take advantage of that. And fourth, if you may have been exposed, get tested and isolate if positive. We'll link in our show notes to the site where every U.S. household can sign up for free tests from the federal government. And fifth, please treat healthcare workers with kindness. You know, mm -hmm. they've been through incredible trauma over the past two years, facing countless deaths, inhumane hours, and abusive treatment from the very people they're trying to save. So thank a healthcare worker today. And that goes for all the frontline workers outside of healthcare mm -hmm. who also have to enforce COVID restrictions for the good of the community. Mm -hmm. That includes teachers, school boards, restaurant workers, grocery store employees, and so many more. Thank you, all of you, for trying so hard to keep us safe. We love, respect, and appreciate you. Yes, thank you. Thank you all. And that brings us to our Physician Mom Hack of the Week. <laughs> If there's one thing we as a planet have needed during the last two years of this pandemic, it's resilience. Mm -hmm. Dr. And chocolate. Amit <laughs> lots and lots of chocolate. <laughs> that's true, but that's pandemic or no pandemic. Yeah, I mean, true. this pandemic could be in our rearview mirror and I'll still be needing chocolate. <laughs> right. So let's be real. <laughs> Dr. Amit Sood, Executive Director of the Global Center for Resiliency and Wellbeing and a former professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic, helped develop a tool called the Everyday Health Resilience Assessment that you can use to assess how resilient you are in the face of challenges. It looks at nine internal and external factors that make you resilient, and it helps identify specific areas you can work on to increase your resilience, which will make you better able to stay positive through everything that life throws at you, including a global pandemic. We'll link to the assessment in our show notes at HippocraticCoast.com because it's an easy way to do a little self-checkup and create an action plan to make living in our COVID reality just a bit easier. <laughs> That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. For more resources on COVID prevention, visit our show notes at HippocraticHosts.com. So don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we'd love for you to subscribe and to review us on Apple Podcasts. And again, if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks, you guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Health at Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. Remember that all views expressed here are our own, not our employers. And all content is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice nor the establishment of a doctor-patient relationship. Always consult your own physician or healthcare team for any medical issues. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us, subscribe, and tell a friend. And check out our website at www.hippocratichosts.com for show notes on this and all our episodes. Can't wait to chat with you next time.